podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. And just before we start this episode, I wanted to remind you that you can support us via Patreon on our website at www.worldofwork.io forward slash support. Okay, let's get on with the episode. Hello, this is James. And this is Jane. And here we are again with another episode of the World of Work podcast. What are we speaking about today, Jane? Well, today we're talking to someone about the zebras movement over in the startup world, which is really, really exciting. That's cool. Yeah. So zebras, zebras, we, we're joined from um, across the ocean, in fact, uh, in California. Um, Ania Williams is going to be speaking to us about the zebras movement and how businesses can be a little bit more ethical, particularly in the startup space. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, I think uh, their perspective on taking growth differently in comparison to some of the existing startup culture and being slower and more persistent, uh, but also with a sort of longer, more sustainable uh, work model, I think is really good. Cool. All right, well, let's get into the conversation and see what we learn. Okay, so here we are in the main body of today's conversation, and today we're joined by Ania, and we're going to be speaking uh, broadly about another conversation on the theme of responsible business, which we, we do enjoy speaking about. Um, and today we're going to be speaking about the Zebras movement, and, and here we're looking a little bit at the experience of uh, startups and startup funding and, and the role that um, that has in the sort of responsibility and, and behavior of these, um, these organizations. Before we get into that, though, Ania, would you be able to introduce yourself to the audience and say a bit about yourself and your background? Yes, happily. My name is Ania Williams, and I am the co-founder of Zebras Unite, and I'm also the executive director of Black and Brown Founders. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. That sounds excellent. And it's great that you went in with zebras, because even though I grew up in the States, I'm going straight in with zebras. So we'll, we'll get a bit of zebra zebras here. I know. And it's funny because we have such a global community. More people in our community say zebras than zebras. How fun. I'm just indoctrinated in the American zebras. Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it with yogurt and yogurt as well. That's another one. Yeah. We actually know, I don't know uh, how close you are to her, but we know um, Daisy who runs for zebras chapter up here in Edinburgh. And she's oh, part of the reason cool. that we got into all of this. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Um, Before we talk a little bit about uh, you know, actually what's going on with the Zebras movement. Can you say a little bit about what unicorns are? Because I'm not sure that everybody will know what a unicorn is for the context that we're speaking about here. Yeah, that that completely makes sense because Zebras was kind of imagined as a counterpoint to Zebras. So Zebras um, in here in the tech industry, or at least in the world of startups, uh, Zebras are what are referred to as companies that have a valuation of a billion dollars or more. Uh, This is an ecosystem that's very much uh, powered and dominated by venture capital funding. And for those investors to make the returns that they're looking for, they need billion dollar exits. And so um, it's a it's a culture that that venerates this idea of the unicorn and these billion dollar businesses that go from, you know, zero to a billion and, and five to seven years, maybe less if if they're lucky. Cool. Okay, so that's a good introduction. And, you know, Edinburgh's got a thriving startup scene of its own. It's not the scale of Silicon Valley at all. And um, as a little side note, the Scottish national animal is actually the unicorn. So I think we might be about, yeah, I think we're about the only country probably with a fictional animal, I guess, or maybe whales have a dragon or something like that. I love it. I'm here for the imagination. It's quite fun, isn't it? Yeah. So I guess if we start off, and if we think about these unicorns and these uh, venture capital backed uh, startup companies with an aspiration of reaching that billion dollar private held 
privately held valuation. What is it about the way that they operate at the minute and, and their sort of behaviors that has led you to to uh, try and push back or create an alternative or raise awareness of things that aren't necessarily great? Yeah, I think it helps to kind of give some context around how it is that I got here um, and, and the journey to getting here. So in one, like the first part of it really is that I started my own uh, tech startup in 2014. It was a company called Tinsel. We made a necklace that transformed into headphones. Our goal was to design electronics, consumer electronics with women in mind, not just like the kind of shrink it or pink it type of thing. And um, in the process of, of building that company, we went out and sought venture backing. We did get some funding, uh, but it was through that experience that I became familiar with the the kind of context around venture capital funding and what it all meant. Uh, because the thing about it is, you know, I live in San Francisco. I had been living in San Francisco for a few years before I started Tinsel, and that uh, my experience kind of transitioning into in the to the tech industry when I moved here in 2011 was one where I kind of, you know, quickly became indoctrinated in the culture of it. I was very much taken in by all of the shininess of it. Um, and in fact, my husband, uh, the reason why we moved out here, he got recruited to work at a, a company called Yammer, um, which actually ended up being a, a unicorn. It was acquired by Microsoft for like $1.2 billion dollars. Um, and so, uh, so it, you know, all of the things that were actually even happening in my world very much fit the narrative of, of how we like, yeah, startups and we're doing this and blah, blah, blah. So I think it's really easy to be taken in by all of what Silicon Valley has to offer, this entire narrative that, you know, you can come here and become, you know, a millionaire or a billionaire uh, just by joining a startup. But the reality of it is like these, these incidents, like these events are actually very rare uh, when these, um, you know, big exits happen where everybody makes a ton of money and it like changes the trajectory of a bunch of people's lives. The reality of it is like there, most of the time there's, there's a small group of people who are making a lot, a lot of money off of this. And a lot of people who put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into trying to build up a company that ultimately never ends up, you know, giving them back the same returns that they were hoping for. Like they probably could have made more money just actually having a salary at a regular job uh, during that time. Um, and there's there's a lot also to just be said about the the spirit of the people who come and, and try to find, um, you know, their place in, in this industry as well. But in general, I think that what ends up happening, or at least what I, what I experienced was one, um, after I built, I like left to build my own company, the experience that uh, the other founders that I knew, uh, many of which who were white men, including like, you know, the company that I was working at at the time, my experience fundraising was not like their experience fundraising. Um, the conversations that I was having with investors were not like the conversations that they were having with investors. The kind of proof points that investors were looking at and evaluating did not seem to land the same way. Um, when they were coming out of my mouth. So I, I realized like, you know, obviously one thing is the the kind of homogenous, um, you know, culture uh, that's here and what kind of effects that has on, on opportunity and people getting backing and the funding that they need. Um, and then I think the other part of it was me also starting to understand what the implications are of when someone is trying to build a billion dollar business. It's It's seeing that there are a lot of companies that can actually build a really incredible product 
get it to a certain point. And I feel like there's kind of this plateau that from my observation, at least of, of kind of watching startups and knowing people who run and work at startups for, for almost a decade now is that they get kind of like to the double digit millions and they kind of hit this plateau uh, of how much revenue they're actually able to make. But that, you know, is, and that's a fantastic business for lots of people would love to have like, you know, an eight figure business. Um, but it's just not enough. It's not enough Absolutely. when you're looking at it through the lens of, you know, what they have to return to their investors and who those investors have to return to their LPs. Like it is not enough. And so it kind of puts a lot of um, founders in a situation where um, they have to make choices uh, to continue that growth that they maybe weren't expecting or that, you know, might feel misaligned with their values. And so I think that the the time of us building businesses, and this is what I say about startups, but in general, like the time of us building businesses where we are only concerned about shareholder profits and and returns, and we are completely divorcing that from humanity and what society needs and what are the effects on communities, it's only, it's at our own peril. Um, and so that I think is a lot of what was coming up for me um, and my experience when, when I paired up with Mata and Astrid and Jen and uh, and us really having our own experiences that brought us to that destination, but realizing that we were so incredibly aligned on our perspective of what was happening and what needed to be happening instead as a counterpoint to that. And that was how Zebras was born. That's that's really cool. And a lot of the stuff that you speak about is stuff that we're passionate about and that we speak to others about as well. Um, we're we're pretty, uh, pretty openly against the shareholder value maximization, you know, ideology i guess that's been around for a while interestingly up here in, in scotland we've had a couple of unicorns not many um one has maintained itself as a great place to work it's it's now owned by uh, chinese mm-hmm. um private ownership um and the other interestingly was bought out but it was bought out in such a way that the uh, the original founders left uh, with nothing so they've gone on to set up another thing and they grew a giant organization and it didn't work out for them, right? And then, you know, the rumors are that in some ways they're quite happy doing what they're doing now, but that must be a really difficult, right, difficult right. situation to be in. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's it's a it's a risk that people come in, you know, willing to take, right? I think entrepreneurs in general, like, I, I, at least I hope, most people know that, you know, the odds are not necessarily in, in your favor. Not every business makes it, but we are also kind of arbitrarily... Yeah optimizing for certain kinds of um, activities and criteria and ways of thinking about how you grow a good business. Um, That's really, again, driven by that sort of like shareholder return, investor LP return, infinite growth kind of thinking. And it's just, I mean, I think that, you know, it worked for a while. I think in some cases, actually, like there's, there is a narrow band of opportunities where maybe that is the right thing and the right way to think about it. But we have expanded that thinking to, you know, virtually every business that's getting created in the startup ecosystem today. And it's just not serving us. It's not. So talk to me a little bit more about um, the Zebras, Zebras then. So in terms of the approach for Zebras as organizations, what is it that they're really looking to do? How do they differentiate themselves? What are the impacts that they want to have? Yeah, it's interesting because there are there's kind of a spectrum of different things that that come up depending on who you're talking to. I'd say that the one thing that really 
unites all of the the zebras um, is that they are companies that care about more than just uh, you know shareholder returns and um, and profit. That they're looking beyond profit and that they believe fundamentally that purpose and profit do not have to be mutually exclusive is how I would really categorize that. And I think that, you know, the characteristics, like, you know, we have this, this sort of diagram where we juxtapose zebras and unicorns and kind of talk about these different factors um, when you're looking at one versus the other. And I think that those different factors kind of come about as an extension of the kind of values and beliefs that the founders who start these zebras companies have. Um, and in some cases, uh, we have some folks in the community who maybe started off, uh, you know, building, a, they had a venture back business. And for whatever reason, you know, they very much soured on the idea of what that meant to them, whether it be, you know, ethical concerns, or whether that be, um, you know, feeling like they got shafted on, on, ownership and optionality in their own business, um, whether that be just a matter of having more control over, you know, the the end point uh, that they're trying to reach with their business. There's all these different reasons. And I think the real tragedy of it is that I, I, there's still money to be made by investing in zebra companies, like lots of it. Um, and like, just because it's not a shoot for the moon concept every time should not be like a negative thing. Um, and then the other part I would say is that, you know, these are these are people who actually want to use business as a vehicle to create change in the world, um, that they are using their businesses to try to solve problems for communities that they represent or that they see issues in that need to be met and can be addressed through a model that does return profits. But um, that it is not the only um, measure of success for that business. And from your experience, are there organizations out there that you think are doing this well or who can be role models for some of the newer organizations that are approaching the world this way? Yeah, um, I think a, a lot of the, the popular ones that come up a lot is, uh, well, Basecamp is one. Um, I think people love to talk about, uh, you know, REI, Patagonia, like there's a lot of things um, of companies that uh, that even have started off as venture backed and kind of uh, bought back um, their their investors' interest in the business so that they can kind of regain control. That's something that actually I shouldn't say a lot of companies. It's it's pretty rare, but it, it's also a thing that has happened. Like Buffer is an example of that. Um, and so I think the interesting thing is that there's still so many kind of zebra foals out there that want to, you know, really grow up into being a fully fledged business that can can actually show, uh, you know, a more of a life cycle of how this happens in business. But the reality is we're still very much at the vanguard of it, which to me is the most exciting part, right? Like being in the place, like being the, the Silicon Valley parts of me um, very much love like the the kind of limitless uh, opportunities and, and imagining what what that future can be like. But um, I think it's it's interesting. It's it's a, a very brave, courageous group of founders as well, because it feels very, very frequently like there is not a charted path um, that we're trying to take. And um, and, you know, that's a blessing and a curse because we get to kind of make the rules and, and define the culture of what that should look like. But at the same time, um, it makes it harder to kind of galvanize the support of institutions and people who have kind of long been aligned with the status quo because uh, they still very much have a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it 
kind of mentality about it and are kind of overlooking what I think is a really fantastic opportunity. It's really interesting. So we we recorded an interview uh, a couple of weeks ago with, uh, I think, CTO of Todoist, uh, or Doist, sorry. And they were, talk- uh, they were talking about uh, the the importance, the growing importance for some organizations about work playing an appropriate role in people's life. So somewhat being Mm. counter to Mm. the obsessive, immersive, you know, I live at work, I work 20 hours a week and I'm part of this incredible culture and trying to act in some senses like a counterculture against that. And it sounds from the organizations you've just mentioned, there is a, there's an overlap there about both the organization's purpose, but also about how those owners or those leaders want their employees to experience work. So there does, it feels almost like, you know, they're fighting for organizations to be better citizens of the world in every sense. Is that, is that how you see it? That they, organizations want to be better at, at being a part of this world? Yeah, yeah. There is this thing that I kind of like to say um, in, in talks that I give uh, a lot, which is like, you know, they're looking at a quadruple bottom line and that's creating value for customers, employees, society, and shareholders. Oh, I love that. So we, we talk, uh, it, when we, we had this conversation, one of the things they were saying was, um, that, that, that kind of organization really needs like a big loud winner at the moment, because like you said, it's fighting upstream, right? You're fighting against a culture that's mm-hmm. that's celebrating big, massive, huge, scalable profit, and um, I don't. It it feels very much like it's emerged out of the. I'm old enough to remember the '90s, um, I, and it feels like it's emerged out of that period. Certainly in the UK, where we were very we were glorifying money and and the re- uh, deregulation of the financial markets, and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There feels like this this tiny little ripple. You called them foals, which I love. This idea of little zebra foals that are going to grow up. Um, but this idea that we have to nurture these businesses if we want them to perform a, a an important function for society, but also be good to our people and our customers and our workers. Absolutely, and it's it's so interesting because uh, you know there's something that uh, that I've been kind of working on behind the scenes, and I'm I'm really excited to to unveil very soon. But it's very deeply rooted in um, ecosystem work and building up an ecosystem. And zebras is is you know obviously very much aligned and related. Like the work that is happening on the zebras front is very much related to that as well. Um, where it's there are all these kind of factors that are I think are coming to play and starting to converge all at the same time. And as much as I absolutely hate, um, you know, a lot about this moment in history and all of the the pain and the danger and the violence and the hate that's happening. Um, it like, I don't know, the silver lining, I guess, like, I'm like, I don't know what to how to even try to frame this, but uh, is that it's it's creating like that reckoning is actually kind of opening up an opportunity. Um, and that part of that is 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 real like having everyone kind of come to this like very stark realization that things are so incredibly broken um and that it's not just yeah, like yeah, yeah. A, oh like pop a band-aid on it and like we'll just keep it moving it's yeah. like, we need to like maybe amputate some limbs and like completely try to like this is a real thing um and so i think you know the again the opportunity uh i think is really about like what does it look like to really redesign entire systems um 
And so I think, uh, so I think that that is, is a very important conversation. Uh, but there are also these things that have to exist as conditions to kind of make that something that isn't going to just put us back in the place where we are replicating the harm with like just a new flavor or a new kind of like, uh, you know, costume on it of what has been happening for, for decades or centuries even. Um, and so I think it requires a lot of intention and I think that it requires the right compass. And most importantly, it requires people to be able to have conversations with each other, like in good faith. Um, and that is in very, very rare supply nowadays. Um, I think there's a lot to be said about that. And so, um, there are all these, these things that I, I find myself thinking about as, as themes, um, both in how like these harmful behaviors get kind of perpetuated and, and sort of propagate throughout this system, but also what does it look like to kind of have the sort of the forces that, that are, you know, battling that, uh, in some ways, if that makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. Um, I, I love the idea of, of creating a, a sort of a community or toolkit or, or ecosystem to support that. I think that's really interesting. Um, I've got many different thoughts. One thing that um, I had a conversation with somebody earlier this week that they mentioned was the fact that uh, they, in senior roles in organizations, would have one-to-one -one conversations with the other members of their executive um, uh, committee. And on a one-to-one -one basis, everyone would talk about the right thing and say, yes, I value the right thing. Yes, I agree it. I'd like to do it. However, when you get into that sort of performative nature of, of a board meeting and, and you feel aligned to your shareholders, um, nobody would speak up and do the right thing there. So I think that mm -hmm. separation from the self and what we want versus what we see our sort of performative role in organizations is interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think moving past that is actually going to be quite a big challenge. Absolutely. But I'll, sorry, I'll, you, you can go ahead and finish. I was going to kind of go down another rabbit hole, but please go ahead. Yeah, there's, there's just lots in my mind. I, and I love the way that, that you describe where we are at this moment in time. Obviously, we, we echo the, um, the angst and, and upsetness about the way things are in the world. But, but I also find it hard to speak about, but I feel a sense of opportunity and excitement within it as well. It feels like we are either in or entering the, you know, the depth of the trough, meaning that we might be able to change and, and you know, in your words, amputate. And one of the things I'm really curious about is whether or not things like the legal entity structures that we use for our organizations are fit for purpose as they are, or whether we need to even break things down to more fundamental levels and define what an organization is and how do we collect for it and right. who are our owners and can owners be beyond people or what does that look like? Um, oh my gosh, you speaking my language. Yes. Yeah. I have, so, I'm like, same. Oh my gosh. Yes. So we have these conversations a lot too. Um, like the, the four co-founders, especially the, the four of us talk about this all the time. When Zebras was first uh, kind of being, when we first started it, right at inception, we started it off as, as a nonprofit and, um, and we kind of started to come up against some some obstacles in terms of how we were thinking about uh, our activities as an organization and what things we were constrained by in that uh, in that that corporate structure, and then also thinking, okay, well, we don't want to flat out, you know, C corporation either because that kind of still is it's in in service of you know a few people at the top kind of benefiting more than everyone who's involved. And so we were, we had lots of conversations about this and we kind of always kind of knew, I think too, from the beginning that, um, that co-op was like the direction that we wanted to move into, but we hadn't really had many examples, uh, if any, that we felt like we could point to that were like, that's the, we want to do it like that. 
Um, and so it, it's been this, this kind of exercise, I think, over time, as we've started to just do the different projects and initiatives that Zebras has pushed forward and, and grown this community that has been very active in communicating with each other and expressing what problems they have and what their desires are, um, that we have been able to kind of say, okay, we kind of need to build a container that looks like this. Yeah. This, is, this is what we want it to do. Um, and then just getting aligned with with legal professionals who can like help us put that on paper. Like, you know, and it's so funny to me too, because I think there's so much that feels like the, the, the things that, that keep us in this kind of status quo type of position. When we think about all these systems and, and the way that um, the world works today, there's so much uh, like can't uh, where really yeah. like it's a won't. <laughs> and yeah. I think yeah. if there's anything that I have learned from COVID and the coronavirus just like uprooting everything that we know as like normal um, in the past few months, it's is how much of those can'ts were actually won'ts. Um, like just feeling empowered with the like, okay, so all this shit is made up and like we can design whatever the hell we want. Like most totally. of this stuff contracts on paper so if we can say that this is what we're expecting to happen this is what we want to reward this is how we think this should function this is where people get moved from here to here this is where resources get moved from here to here this is how we produce value this is how we measure whether we're being successful at what we're doing this is our plan for if it fails completely this yeah. is our plan for if it actually is quite successful um, and that it doesn't have to look like it's looked in the past. Right. And it also doesn't have to happen overnight. Like it can happen in stages, but the, the can't needs to go away. I think we need to like really acknowledge when we're actually just being unwilling to accept and imagine what something alternate can be uh, and, and just start doing it. So um I, it's just the word that you used, I've been sitting with my head since you, since you started talking at that last piece, the word imagine has been stuck in my head of that quote, you know, if you can imagine it, it can be done, right? And I think uh, our businesses are so built on scalable. Our businesses, every economies of scale has become so important over the last 30 years that there's a fight against doing anything that's unique or bespoke. And then when you come up with a completely different way of doing things, Everyone's like, no, you can't do that because it doesn't fit any of our mm -hmm. templates. It doesn't fit any of our systems. And it's it, the, the bottom line is if you or your group of people or any group of people can imagine how it might work, there will be a legal structure. There will be a system and a process that you can build around it because humans can only imagine what's possible and plausible. So um, I just I get I, I find it incredibly frustrating that just because other people can't imagine or envisage what that might be like or why people might want to do it, it doesn't mean it's not doable. Absolutely. And I, I keep saying that there's a war on imagination right now. I think we've, we've done so much to discourage people from bringing creativity into the world of business. Um, we talk about innovation, right? And which is essentially, you know, the embodiment of, of creativity, but uh, but we're it, we're only allowed to innovate in as much as it's like disrupting something that isn't fundamentally like our domain, right? And I'm saying like just in the ways in which you know humans are so self interested, it's like yeah, go ahead, disrupt the you know the camera industry. Let's like completely upend and like da 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 with your innovative solution. But then as soon as we start talking about funding vehicles, it's like, oh no, 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 but not that though. That's that's fine. That's working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. We don't we're not in my backyard, right? We don't want that at all. You're right. Exactly. Um yeah. 
there's um something else that's massively in my mind and, and I'm not gonna start it as a conversation um because I, I think we'd go off too long is the the you know the concept of externalities and and for me one of the fundamental problems that we have with organizations is that a huge number of organizations profit from generating costs that are absorbed by others be they individuals or the states or other stakeholders um be that through you know the well-being of their employees or environmental outputs that are that are detrimental to communities all that stuff so I mean I, I think there's a huge flaw there but I'm not going to do that because we don't, I think, have space to do that. What I would like to speak about a little bit is some of the existing stuff that's out there. So, so you're um, on an exciting journey of reimagining some of the ways that organizations can be and some of the ways that funding um, could be obtained for those organizations and some of the ways that would be used and, and guidance around that and things like that. Could you speak to me a little bit about two things that are out there at the minute, um, which are things like B corporations and then the impact investment community? Because I know that these are two current uh, vehicles that are, are used to to try and move in some uh, some way towards the direction that you're aiming to head. Have you got thoughts about this? Yeah. So uh, I heard B Corporation and then what was the other one? Uh, impact Investment Vehicles. Impact Investment. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I'd say the B Corps are, are definitely um, something that, that a lot of people are latching onto. And I think, you know, it's very symbolic of, of, it's a, it's a way to, I think it's interesting because I, I feel like so much of this is, is so, when we think about what's happening in business, right? And and what is happening with people, these business decisions and identities are actually so closely entwined in ways that we don't talk about a lot explicitly. Um, but I think that B Corps are actually a really interesting example of that uh, because I feel like uh, every business owner that I have talked to who's gone through the process of, of, you know, getting that certification, um, has, uh, definitely had, um, you know, really a, a core part of, of their identity that that felt like it was associated with, and they wanted their business to kind of be branded that way too. And sure. so I think that it's, it's a, it's a really beautiful, like signal and values that, that, you know, also seeing a, a growing um, support for that is is also indicative of, I think, the kind of um, society people want and want to be living in, the kind of world of business people want to be operating in. Um, but I also think like, you know, what's interesting is watching the the rise of, of cooperatives as well, um, which I think is, is also starting to become very popular, even though a lot of people are still kind of trying to figure out how to navigate that from kind of a power dynamic uh, perspective. Yeah. But um, but I think that it's a really beautiful thing. And I think it's going to kind of be like a little bit awkward for a while <laughs> where yeah. like it's like going through puberty and you're just like, oh, wait, I didn't know that that was going to pop up. Like, what am I going to do with that? Um, but that's part of the process, right? Yeah, um, yeah that like if people are navigated by the right compass then then they'll arrive at the the right solutions um and then the other thing i was going to say is oh about impact investing yeah or, or even just more broadly i mean about the, the difficulties of, of raising finance when you're operating in this ethical space part of the reason i ask is we had a conversation with somebody who's now got a successful b corporation that's uh, across the, the uk but they're maybe 25 years into this journey 30 years into this journey and their funding processes were hugely difficult very difficult for them to make any any progress and to get money and they they needed to make money in a more conventional way before they could then transform into this and so so they're active and passionate and they've gone on to set up an impact investment um company to try and change that that's awesome but their ability to raise yeah it's cool isn't it they're called snowball 
Um, but their ability to to set this up early on was really difficult. So I'd just like to hear how people can. Oh, yeah. Right, funny. yeah, we see that a lot. And I think, you know, there's just too few investors that are out there by comparison. And I think there's there's not enough capital that's being deployed in, in these other kinds of ways and, and towards, um, you know, more socially focused uh, endeavors. The other thing I was going to say, too, is that, you know, there I think part of the problem um, that Zebras set out, has set out to solve, like we have three kind of core pillars of, of how we center our activities, and that's around community, culture, and capital, not necessarily in that order, but those are the three kind of main things. And um, and on the capital front, I think what's what's really interesting is that there's just no... There's no commonly accepted funding vehicle for businesses that don't know what their growth trajectory is going to end up like being, right? Like that they they don't they know that there's an opportunity, they know that there's money to be made. They're confident that a, a stable, sustainable business can be built on this, but they can't like do the like this is going to like have an exit of 1.35 billion dollars on january 2nd in 2050 right like yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. no one uh, who can do that right yeah, I was gonna say, we can all say that right but it, like what's that mean <laughs> right exactly um and so it's like you know if you're not out there kind of talking up the fact that you're gonna eat the world then it's just like oh your vision's too small and yeah. we don't have funding for that we'll see a bank loan or something but banks don't want a loan to start up um, so it's just, it's, it's a hot mess. Uh, and so kind of part of what, um, you know, and the, uh, back to the, the kind of capital piece of what Zebras does in, when we talk about it internally, it's like, we talk about, you know, we need to share with people like what, what options are existing today, right? We need to make sure that people know what funding options exist across the spectrum and where there are none we that like are meeting a need like people have a need but there is not a vehicle for that we need to create one and where there is a vehicle that like is there but it's like not quite right like we need to figure out what kind of iterations need to be made to make that more accommodating to the kinds of goals that people have for their businesses and so i think like if i if i if i was looking at kind of you know i keep using this word compass too uh mm. i like talking a lot about just like these ideas of like what are like these kind of deeply pragmatic concepts that can just unite large groups of people to like, just move in the same direction. Right. Um, like we don't have to all hold hands and like bake cupcakes for each other, but how can we just like be aligned enough to just swim in the same direction? Yeah. Um, and I feel like right now that like, it's kind of just pointing at like more, like that's that's what it's pointing at the industry just more like that's what it's pointing at and like i think it just it needs to kind of be redirected to point more at like collective good um i think that like the the kind of corrections um that we need to see across the board uh especially in the world of business because that is like the main driver of of human activity and it shapes a lot of our cultural norms and behaviors is that you know we need to kind of really shift incentives to be aligned to how people are contributing to to the common good right and not just this very individualistic kind of view of like i'm going to get mine and i'm going to get as much as i can because i don't know when they're going to close the portal when i can't grab anymore yeah and i keep the, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now i a long time ago i remember doing years ago at uni doing a bit on the gold rush and the economic impact of the gold rush in america 
And it just all feels a little bit grubby and like that. It feels like, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's like, wow, there's this opportunity where regulation hasn't quite caught up and we haven't learned how to price externalities appropriately. So there's this really, you called it a hot mess. Mm-hmm. And I, think that's a great, I think that's a great 21st century phrase for what it is. Um, it's, it, it feels like people are just literally sitting there going, dive in and get what you can and run away. And uh, that doesn't feel either sustainable or in any sense grown up or mature for an economy mm-hmm. and set of economies that are meant to be learning as they go on over the last sort of 200 years of, of industrialization. And um, I don't know how we start to price those externalities in and those experiences of work and, and, and the way in which we go about scaling. But I do know that I think COVID, you said right at the beginning that COVID's had an impact, like people are re- rethinking some stuff. And I think that's true. I think that's certainly true this side of the, the, the water people are starting to question who they work for and why they work for them and why they they're sort of depleting emotionally the rest of their life in order to help an organization that is not necessarily doing its organizational citizenship appropriately so uh, I, I hope Absolutely. I hope you're right um, and I feel like certainly it is a point and I think it helps you know that we're watching power move in different ways than it has historically. Um, I was just reading this book, actually, that was kind of talking about how power is moving from, you know, the tops of hierarchies to distributed networks. And um, and that is just a really interesting concept to me uh, because it means that, you know, there is actually a, a world where people together, united, can change systems and, you know, uproot the broken parts and replace the good ones. Um, as long as we can find an effective way to kind of be coordinated and organize ourselves, um, that in an, in a, in a way we're kind of talking about how do we sort of create these, these networks that are, you know, coordinated and moving together towards creating the kind of change that we're hoping to have. And that is always very exciting to me. I mean, I'm also just, I love people in general. Um, and so I, I just am, am very fascinated by thinking about what kind of factors it takes to kind of get that to happen. Because if I'm just looking at, you know, my bubble in the world, and um, which I like to think is is somewhat expansive, and I like to go bubble hopping um, as well. I, I think like, you know, the, 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 one of the things that I am seeing is that regardless of the background, regardless yeah. of who we're talking about, um, for the most part, uh, like with the exception of, of like, you know, actual bad actors, most people are wanting something better. And most people feel like they know that this is not it. And like something better needs to happen. They just don't know what, um, or how, but they're definitely willing to engage with the conversation about what this alternate thing looks like. And, and I'm very much encouraged by that. Um, and then the other thing I'll say to that is just that, you know, when we, when we start to, to kind of have these conversations, um, with each other about like, okay, where, where is this all going? Um, that people just, they want things to be fair. Like, I think if there's, if there's anything that was one like big theme of what I'm gathering from just different people from different groups with different ideas is fairness, this idea of fairness. Um, and so, and I'm like, I can get behind fairness. Yeah, totally. Right. <laughs> so, 
Very up for that. Um, have you got any thoughts on, I guess, what maybe individuals could do? So people, if they're in an organization now, maybe they're working in it or, or they're leading their own lives. Are there any things that people can do from a non, um, you know, a non-leading an organization perspective that might help move us in the right direction? Yeah. Um, I mean, this is not necessarily related to like exactly related to the like business conversation, but it absolutely is like one of the biggest factors that that plays a role, um, which is just the work that people are doing on themselves. Um, I, I think that this this moment in, in history demands it. It demands that everybody start to like get their terminal degree in the subject of study that is themselves. <laughs> Like there's just like, and like just really understanding, like I need people to one, make a lifetime commitment to the practice of learning and growing. Like that is the, we live in the information age and the information age demands that you are constantly learning. Like that is actually the, probably one of the most primary ways of surviving that, that is now like marking this next phase of, of human civilization. Um, and that in that, uh, it's like learning about yourself is like so important. I just realized like how many decisions are getting made. Uh, like when I'm when I'm able to kind of get a little peek behind the curtain, I'm seeing how sausage is made, and I'm just oh, like, yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> it's just like noticing the ways in which people are are just you know like they're very much going to be driven by their self-interest but like when you're driven by your self-interest and you don't actually like you haven't even been able to explicitly identify like what your motivations are it just makes you so much more um likely to do harm to other people and to perpetuate like harmful behaviors and to 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 like vote and optimize for harmful things. Um, and I think that, you know, even very well-intentioned people find themselves in that situation. And so I just think like, I don't know, I, it, it probably sounds like very woo woo and a little bit of a departure from this entire you know what? We're all over this. We're, we're hundred <laughs> percent. I'm just like, yeah, like people need to learn how to be introspective and how to really think critically about what drives them and what do they want and like, who do they want to show up to be in this world? And like, what is the distance between that and like where they are right now? And how do they close that distance? If that's woo-woo, I'm all okay with woo-woo because I think James and I, tell you, if you, if you can fight the prevailing narrative of what the world tells you, you should be in want and figure out for yourself what you should be in want, you're winning. You're winning against everything because you're able to challenge that prevailing narrative of what yeah. you're being successful is. And as soon as you do that, all the scales start dropping from your eyes about how influenced you are by mm -hmm. those sort of societal expectations of you will do this and you will do this and this is what success looks like. So knowing yourself is like, it, it's the gold dust. That's the real gold dust for me anyway. Yeah, and it sounds so simple, but it is, it's, well, one, it's hard. It is actually, it's way harder. It's easier said than done. But also, I mean, just most people are not given the tools um, to be able to do that. And so it, it it seems like a very simple thing, but it's it's actually like we're not even in the universe, I think, of most people doing that kind of work with themselves. Yeah. I mean, education's got to change. We, we don't we don't give young people the skills to have introspection or critical thinking or emotional awareness to the level needed, I believe, to, to get us to where we need to be. And we also treat education like yeah. it is, it finishes when you start working, right? Uh, except yeah. 
specific mm. CPD or and you know if I know one thing about getting to know yourself and getting to understand yourself is a it's really hard and really quite painful at times because you realize just how utterly flawed we are as humans but exactly. it takes time and effort and if your work and your family is filling that time how on earth do you make the space in your life to step back and do all the work you need to do in order to take a sort of helicopter view of your life and say, hang on, where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I on this treadmill? Exactly. I mean, it's honestly, it's, I couldn't agree more with both of you. And it's, it's really like the most powerful, you know, weapon and form of protection that you can have, like to your point, like, you know, when we live in this like very disordered, like information environment, right? So, you know, we're talking about information and learning and all of that stuff, like the environment in which we're learning. In fact, there is this, there's this, um, there's like a tweet storm that I have where I was kind of talking about misinformation. And I shared this link to an article where um, this woman, I think her name's Claire Wardle, sort of said something like, you know, in the way that we had to kind of learn how to wear sunscreen when we go outside to not get like hurt by sunlight, right? We have to kind of figure out like a way to to protect ourselves from misinformation in in like on the internet and, and where we're looking all the time where our attention is all the time there's there's misleading um information there that informs people's decisions and has them out here doing crazy yeah, stuff yeah, <laughs> for somebody's benefit but not for their own benefit right i mean that's what it comes down to. right exactly and like for exactly for whose benefit and so I think, you know, it's that 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 strong anchor of knowing yourself and really understanding how that connects to the world around you. It's just it's such a powerful, like source of, of strength and protection, you know, yeah. so I think it's really important. Cool. Well, let's um, let's leave it there. Just in the interest of time, we could take this into a whole nother series of podcasts, I'm sure. Um, but <laughs> just in the interest of time, let's wrap up. Um, just before we go, though, is there anything that people could do to learn more about zebras and the work that you're doing or uh, your own work as well? Yeah, absolutely. Go to zebrasunite.com and look up what we're doing. Join the community there. We have a wonderful community of incredible founders who are doing incredible things and other uh, you know, practitioners and investors in the community as well. And um, if you want to learn more about me and the shenanigans that I'm up to, uh, you can go to my website, ania.com, A-N-I-Y-I-A.com. Um, and yeah. Great. That's, that's, or find me on Twitter at Opera Queenie. Opera Queenie. The cool. All right. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you. That was a really pleasurable conversation. So thank you for coming along. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Okay, so you are back in the room with uh, Jane and myself. I say the room. You're back in the socially distant space where we're in separate rooms and doing it virtually with Jane and myself. Um, that was our conversation with Ania where we were speaking about the Zebras movement and all things to do with, I guess, increased responsibility, that quadruple bottom line um, that you can have in the, the startup space specifically. And I thought it was a really uh, fun conversation. Um, and I love the energy and, and the entire uh, sort of ambition and scope of what we spoke about in that. Um, Jane, did you have any key takeaways that you want to reflect on I don't know so much if I had takeaways because when I speak to someone and we've spoken to a couple of people like this now recently where I feel that their values and the way that they vision the world is is similar to where you and I see things so I don't know so much takeaways as more points that I need to go and weigh and mull over which is this idea that there is this resistance to a vision of a different way of doing things and a discomfort and I don't know if that's coming from the idea that those who don't subscribe to it feel like in some way it's a criticism of the way they're doing it. 
which of course it is from our perspective. Um, but there's definitely a resistance and a discomfort with the idea that when we, we talk about these ideas that maybe the way that business and the world is working in business sense isn't great. Yeah, it's interesting, I guess. And, and from the other side, some people maybe think that the types of conversations we enjoy and, and the types of change we're looking to to drive are somewhat naive is, is the way that a pejorative view of us us would be. Um, I think there's lots of great stuff in there. I'm, you know, as you know, I'm totally be- I'm behind all of this. And one of the things that I'd like to just touch on is the fact that uh, at the heart of this is is so much of a focus on the individual and the personal development. And I think that's, that's such a great takeaway from this conversation. You know, we want to change the way businesses work. We want to change the way our organizations work. But what's really the starting point of that? Well, maybe one of the starting points is to do self-reflection, understand our values, understand ourselves, understand our thinking and our emotions and the way that we operate as individuals in the world. And then from there, we can build out and make change to, to other aspects and do that from an informed position. Yes, I think I, think I, I, I sometimes I, I'm challenge myself around the idea is is it really just all about the individual because of course we also are passionate about the idea of externalities on society and things like that but fundamentally whether it is all about the individual or not it definitely starts there right it has Mm. just like you say it has to start with you being comfortable as an individual about what you are and aren't willing to accept in your life and in the lives of those around you and in your society and if you can't get really clear on that it's always going to be an uphill battle moving to a different normal yeah cool well let's leave it there all right well thank you very much um we'll draw the line under that conversation and we'll be back with you again in another week um with another episode so until then thank you very much and goodbye from me bye everyone stay safe hi thanks for listening to this episode of the world of work podcast to learn more about what we do please check out our website www.worldofwork.io where you can read some great articles learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver or even support us if you wish through our patreon page that's www.worldofwork.io thank you